Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. The average family produces over 3,000 photos and videos a year. But instead of enjoying them, they are a source of stress and anxiety because you lack the time to create photo books. Memory My Way helps the modern family rescue those memories from the cloud into beautiful high-end photo books. With a membership at Memory My Way, you can get organized and in control, back up the right way, and everyone is paired with a professional designer who custom creates each book for them saving tons of your precious time. A monthly fee includes everything at memorymyway.com. With a plan in place, you won't put off getting your best moments into photo books again. Join now at memorymyway.com. Use the code WRITER to get $5 off your first month. So we're here with Landel Proctor, whose memoir, Headwinds, is about a attempt to ride around the perimeter of the United States, riding 10,000 miles in 100 days. So first of all, just tell me about like that decision. What made you decide, hey, this is what I'm doing now? Like I talk about it a little bit in, in the forward of the book. I think the an absolute objective like answer to that question is I was in my early 20s and I was working a job that I was really unhappy in. My boss also happened to be a friend of mine. And so it made conversations about being like unhappy with that job like really, really sort of challenging. And I didn't have maybe the emotional maturity to have those difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for an out, but in a way that didn't result in some sort of like drag out, blow out conversation where we like left mad at each other. A friend of mine mentioned that in college, he rode his bike. He went to college in Chicago and his family had a house on the coast of Maine. And he convinced his girlfriend at the time that they should ride there instead oh of driving God. or flying. So they did. And the story was just filled with mishaps and hilarity and and all sorts of things and ended with his trip his girlfriend literally got to their family's house and said this relationship's over take me to the airport it was just such a great story that it sort of planted a seed in my head that i thought like you know i would like to ride my bike across the country and it sort of connected the dots with like oh well my boss like won't get mad at me if i'm quitting because i want to go on this like epic adventure it was not something that i had had sort of in the back of my mind for years and it planned and planned and planned and was and prepared for like as readers would find out like I was very like ill prepared for the trip from a logistics standpoint pretty much from the start these stars aligned in a way that just made me think like sure why not I can do that yeah the early 20s is the time to do something like that it's when you feel invincible and also like you're an adult now I remember my early 20s I got married in my early 20s uh <laughs> yeah 
so I graduated from college with a religious studies degree with no interest in doing anything related to religion. And in 2006, we weren't like at the height of the job crash, I guess, as like we sort of like historically look on it now. But it wasn't exactly like a plentiful job market to roll into with sort of a non-applicable degree to like, you know, sustaining like employment. So I'd moved back in with my parents. I was living at home at the time, all the ways like embarrassing. But what it did do is it lent me the opportunity to be able to do this trip because I had no obligations. You know, I didn't have like rent that I had to pay when I was gone or a lease to get out of. I wasn't in a long-term relationship. So the timing in that aspect also worked out. Well, as someone that also has a degree in religious studies, <laughs> I can back you up on that real hard. I graduated from college with a degree in English literature uh, and a degree in religious studies. No desire to teach. Yeah. I didn't have the qualifications to teach either. I didn't major in education. So I didn't want to teach. And I didn't want to go in the ministry in any way. And I was like, well, I mean, I feel very educated, but I'm not employable. So I got married. Like that was my answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you moved in with your parents. I got married. I, interesting. The, the freedom aspect being a, a huge contributor to your decision. I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. So how much time had passed then in between you making this trip and then making the decision to write it down? Right before I left for the trip itself, a friend of mine who was like a critical component to just me even being able to like get myself together in the capacity of like acquiring equipment and plans and things like that. Right before I left, he like handed me a moleskin journal. He's like, your book will come from here, you know? And at that time, it wasn't a thing that I'd even considered, but I did. I journaled every night, just would write down the things that had happened, whatever funny interaction stories, whatever like came to mind at the end of each day. And when I got back from the trip, I opened up that journal and I read through it and I sat down and I would start writing and would almost immediately stop for all the reasons someone starts and stops writing a book. You know, I would overthink like what kind of book it was supposed to be. I remember very distinctly at the time when I was planning for the trip, I was just desperate because I didn't I didn't have a big, like I said, a lot of experience in terms of doing these types of things. So I was desperate to just read other people's experiences and what they encountered or what they did. And from a bike packing, which the term didn't even exist in 2006, but from a bike packing experience, like no one had written about that. There just wasn't mm-hmm. anything out there. And so I ended up reading like Bill Bryson's like a walk in the woods. They weren't helpful from a like, here's how you do this and don't die perspective. Yeah. And so when I got back, I was like, well, maybe that's what I should write about. And then I was like, well, but like, I didn't even, you know, like spoiler, like I didn't even finish like my set out loop of the country. Like who's going to take my advice on like how to Mm -hmm. do this thing, you know? And so I just could never get settled on like what the book was supposed to be. And I would also get caught up in like self doubt and like, oh, who wants to read anything I'm going to write and those types of things. And so it just, the project always just got pushed aside. Fast forward then like many, many years. So um, in the the fall of 2019, me and my ex-wife, who we were living in Detroit at the time, decided we didn't really want to live in Detroit anymore. Neither one of us wanted a custody battle with our kid. We sat down and figured out a place that we could move together. And we settled on Berkeley, California. I'm a software developer. I was kind of burned out from it. And so I took the opportunity during that move to just not look for another job. You know, I had some savings. I was going to be able to sustain myself. And I thought, you know, now's the time. 
yeah. you know, now's the time to like write that book. And I still didn't quite know what kind of book it was going to be. But I, I guess like just with like age and some maturity, I had decided that I wasn't going to let that be the thing that got in the way this time. I was just going to start writing the stories, see what it ended up being. And I hoped that it would like inform itself through the process. And so it was 14 years between coming back from the trip and before I actually sat down and, you know, hammering out pages. Like personally, I've never written a memoir, but I really do think that that would be a great approach because you have distance from those experiences and those stories and you're actually coming to those journals into your own writing in that period of your own life with a different perspective than you had in Mm -hmm. that moment because you have 14 more years of experience. What was your experience then coming back to these stories 14 years later? Were there things that you had forgotten? Were there things that surprised you? Were there things that you were like, man, I wish I would have done that differently? Oh, I mean, without the journal, there's no way I would have been able to write even remotely half these stories. There are things that like reading the journal, I was surprised at how vividly details of conversations would like come back to me where without that journal, I had completely forgotten the person I'd had that conversation with like existed on the planet. It was really amazing how how brain works in that capacity, right? I, I think you're exactly right. The space between and allowing for my own worldview to develop further and create a little bit more of a nuanced realization of how different people see the world I think allowed me to like write some of the interactions and stories from the book in a way that if I had done it in 2006, I would have still been like amped up on the rage of them putting me in an awkward position to talk about. I got proselytized quite a bit by people that I would stay with. And at the time, and I didn't want that, you know, I didn't ask to, for them to be like concerned about my soul. <laughs> you know, I would be like really angry that this was happening to me. If I had written that in 2006, I would have been like, these assholes, blah, blah, you know, but I just think like the way that I wrote it now with some space, I'm like, they view things differently than me. I didn't appreciate what they were doing and I still like didn't like it. They were doing what they thought was like the thing. And so I tried in those cases to leave some space for whoever's reading it to determine their own sort of like take on those situations, right? Maybe they side with the people who wanted to save my soul for Jesus, or maybe they side with me, the kid who just like wanted to drink some coffee and get back on the road. 2006 version of me would have been like, you must side with me on this. Yep. Yeah. Your twenties are kind of polarizing. You're always right. I I wish, truly wish I would have kept a journal when I was younger, not necessarily in my 20s, perhaps in my teens. Not that I did anything amazing then either. But (laughs) what's astonishing to me, you're right. The brain is not quite the functioning machine that we believe it is. And I have done so much reading. I read a lot of nonfiction. And I've done Uh, some reading about how we don't, medical science doesn't necessarily understand how our brains even really work. And memory, especially, is something I've read a lot about. It's a malleable thing. It's just like ballots, like they'll just drop stuff we don't need and aren't using. And Mm -hmm. I will have conversations with people from high school or people from college that will be like, yeah, then this happened and this happened and you did this. And it was so cool, this thing that you did or so funny. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't remember being there. Was I drunk? What are you 
That was sure. not me. Like, are you sure that was me? Yeah. I have no recollection of this. And and they're like, no, dude. Like, that was the thing. You were there. I'm like, Man, that sounds interesting. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, and funnily enough, I even have experiences where my dad, if I'll talk about talk about something that he has that reaction to, where he's like, yeah, I don't remember that at all. And he'll be like, you drink that. <laughs> like, that's just his. Sure. That's his dismissive. He's like, no, that was a dream. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you right. And so sometimes I'll even have moments where I'm like, wait a minute. Am I making this up? Like, did I? <laughs> did I dream that? Did that really happen? Or has my author's brain created this narrative around this thing that is not reality? Like, that is not what happened. So many people I know journal and I admire them for that. I personally, my therapist has been like many times, you should journal. I've never written a word just because so much of my life is words. Um, yeah, I do right. Freelance editing, I write, you know, do the podcasts and the blog. And it's like words are work for me. So I think your story is definitely a, a notch in the belt for, for people that journal. The Mommy Mood Podcast, where we discuss everything from crazy kid stories to husbands to that TV show that is just so annoying, but our kids love it. The Mommy Mood was created as a community for moms to come together and discuss everything momly. This includes activities and suggestions with children, as well as away from our kids, like drinking a new wine every week that we recommend to our podcast listeners. We incorporate polls, shout outs, and amazing mom guests on the show in order to include our community of listeners. Taking part in our journey is easy. The Mommy Mood Facebook page is a great way to follow along and join the community. Check out the Mommy Mood podcast. I want to talk a little bit about something you had written a guest post on my blog mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And one of the things that you talked about specifically was one of the first roadblocks. And for me, I think, and for many other people who were to consider writing a memoir is, you know, who the hell cares? What is the audience for this? Exposing yourself, first of all, to assuming that anybody is going to care about your story, but then right. also the question of, how vulnerable am I going to make myself in this? How honest am I going to be? How revealing am I going to be? And you already said you didn't actually achieve your goal. And yet you still are, you know, writing this book and sharing these stories. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about that just yeah. initial, what the hell is even the point here? And will anyone yeah. care, number one? And number two, how much of my true self and true experience am I going to share? Yeah, so I think there's actually sort of like two answers to to that question. Um, the first is didn't finish the loop piece because mm -hmm. I struggled with that quite a bit, like even after the trip. And obviously, I talk about it um, in the book itself. But the trip, as it as it was set out, was a totally arbitrary goal. The way that I came to trying to do an entire loop was really like random node on my thought path, where I had read an article years previous about a motorcycle trip where, um, you know, like the Honda Goldwing, those big like touring motorcycles. 
yeah. um, they when the new one when the new version was coming out, they had set up these four different guys to each ride up essentially to the four corners of the U.S. So one guy would ride from like Key West to some point in Maine, and then he would hand it off to another guy, and then that guy rode it from Maine to Seattle, and then he handed it off to another guy and that guy, and so they connected the four corners of the U.S. that way. And so as I was thinking about the trip and most people just ride across the country, again, like early 20s bravado, I was like, I guess I could ride across the country, but instead I could also, and I had thought back to this article and I thought I could connect all four, four corners and not realize how absurd that would be, but also how arbitrary that was as well. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely my goal to complete that loop, but it was also completely invented by me still, I did not accomplish what I'd set out to do. That really graded on me for just years. Um, And then Cheryl Strayed, and I'm not comparing myself to her in any capacity as a writer, but Wild came out. Right. And then here was a story of someone who had gone on this established hiking route, the PCT, and she didn't finish it. But yet she wrote a book about it. And clearly, like, the the parallels between our stories end there, you know, like we don't right, have a lot right. of like other things in common. You know, she didn't finish the entire Pacific Crest Trail. And in, so in the back of my head, I was like, huh, I haven't heard a single person say like, oh, this is a good story. But what about the Washington portion of the trip that she didn't do? Realizing that did not make me immediately like run to my computer and start writing. It was still years before I sat down and, and wrote Headwinds. But it did at least plant a seed that like, oh, like maybe like the sort of my own internal hang up on not finishing isn't as big of a deal to other people as it has been to me. And maybe there's something in that to be like poked at and prodded. And so what made me think that people would want to read it? I don't know if they do want to read it. There's a lot of people that were like integral parts of this trip that I sort of like always wanted to tell them all of the stories. But never had time invite them over for dinner and say here please sit while i hold court for you know 10 hours and tell you every story of my of my bike trip right and so i there was just lots of stories there's lots of funny stories that make the highlight real as i'm like sitting around with friends in bars i accidentally spent the night at a nudist colony and and by the accident part i mean my mom set me up to do that like sort of and did not inform me ahead of time until large naked people on golf carts were like driving past me as I like made my way to the to the office to check in those stories would make the rotation right like somebody's like oh like tell me about your trip and I'd be like everybody thinks the nudist colony story is funny so I'll tell that one but there's lots of other stories that never got told I wanted to tell to the people who like really helped with the trip just yesterday in fact I got a text message from one of those people she was like look I I don't read any book slowly but I'm reading your so slow because while I thought we talked about it a lot and I knew a lot of these stories she's like I'm discovering new things that like I had no idea about and I'm just really enjoying the rest of the stories that she that she was unaware of and so I think like when I sat down to write it I didn't know who would be interested but I sort of viewed it as a very long thank you note to the people that helped the trip come to fruition way back in 2006. I didn't and I don't have grand aspirations for this book to like change the way that I support myself or my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think taking that pressure off of it allowed me to worry less about like who would potentially want to read this thing and know that I had like an audience that I just wanted to tell the stories to as sort of a thank you. And then if I can get even more people to read it than that, then that's great. That's fantastic. That's just icing on the cake. I love what you're saying about arbitrary goals, especially because 
I have always been um, an athlete. As an adult, I certainly haven't been competitive. But when we went into lockdown last winter, my gym closed, you know, and I was like, oh, crap, because I had always been active. But I usually I went to the gym. It's a CrossFit gym. I went to the gym like twice a week. That was kind of it. So when everything shut down, I was like, oh, man, you are going to have to do this on your own. You're going to have to make your own rules. So, you know, I went and my gym was posting workouts online for you to do at home. So Mm -hmm. I went to town and I bought myself a kettlebell and uh, a wall ball and some free weights. I started running. I've never been a runner. I've never been good at running. I played softball and basketball. Running was punishment Uh for doing your actual sport. (laughs) I live in the middle of nowhere. And in the lockdown world, it was just like, well, you have all the time ever. Mm -hmm. And running is free. So go do it. (laughs) Sure. So I started running and I was working out every night. The very first time in my life, I ran a mile. The only reason I even managed it was because it was very, very foggy out. So I couldn't see the stop sign that represented the mile because it it was too far away. So I had no idea really how much longer I had to go. I just kept going. And I was like, and then I got there and I'm like, I actually feel okay. So the lockdown helped me get to a point where I could run a 5k pretty much like every morning I would wake up, run a 5k. And then I worked out in the evenings. And I am here at 41, probably the healthiest and the strongest that I've been in my life. All that being said, last night, I go to the gym and we had a CrossFit workout. It was a good workout. I won't recite the whole workout, but it was a hundred reps of seven different movements. And the very last Uh one was a burpee. We had to do a hundred burpees at the end of the workout. It sucked. And it's like when I saw the board, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, I didn't do it. Like I couldn't, I actually could not do it. So we did like, I think, uh, you know, 100 wall balls, 100 sit-ups, 100 push-ups, mm-hmm. 100 uh, whatever's squats. And then it was time to do 100 burpees. And I think I did 50 and I quit. And I have never quit a workout before, ever. And yeah. I came home last night just feeling like shit. I was like, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You couldn't do 100 burpees. I stopped and I thought about it. And I was like, okay, however... A year ago, you couldn't have done the first two reps. Like you couldn't have done the first two activities. So shut the hell up, Mindy. You know, and so (laughs) I do think we set these arbitrary goals for ourselves. Good for us for being humble people. But if I don't hit my goals, I'm just like, you're a piece of shit, right? It's like I'm pissed at myself. And I don't recognize everything that I did right up before I quit. You know, you'll go back to your CrossFit gym the next time and everyone will be happy to see you, you know, and they'll be asking you how your, how your day's been going, what have you been up to? And then, you know, no one's going to say like, hey, what have you done to improve on those like 50 burpees that you didn't do? That was my experience too, you know, like I, I got home, I got back to my, my folks place and I just was like hiding in my bedroom there hoping that like I didn't even tell my friends that I was back, you know, mm. and I guess like someone saw me. My buddy Carrie like texted me. And he's like, hey, rumor has it you're back in town. Is that true? And I was, you know, like a hesitantly, you know, I probably like wrote like four different responses before finally sending off like, yeah, I'm back. 
And he's like, cool, let's go to dinner and you tell me some stories. Nobody cared. No one cared that I didn't complete this like full loop. Like every person that I was nervous that I had let down in some capacity just wanted to, they just wanted to hear stories. They wanted to tell me how happy they were that I didn't die. (laughs) You know, like apparently a lot of people thought I was going to (laughs) die. So they were just all very, very happy to, uh, to do that. And, And another component of the trip was I raised money for the local Meals on Wheels program. I wrote a check for a little over $5,000 to them nice. for the trip, which, which felt really nice. And so I went in to call them and was like, Hey, I'm back. I'd love to like give you guys the check. And they're like, Oh yeah, come on in for lunch one day. And they had set up like a full, like the entire, all their volunteers and staff and everything were just like in this like room. And it was all people who like I had never seen before. Um, cause I'd only really been in contact with like a few folks from, from the organization who are all these people and why do they care? They wanted to hear stories. It was, it was all very like emotionally overwhelming. It, it sort of reiterated that, yeah, you know, like these are arbitrary goals. They're great to set. You should obviously work very hard to achieve things that you set out to do. But sometimes the failure part of that is more in our head than maybe like our, our peers or friends like care about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a uh, a lifting partner. We don't work out that often together because he's a dude. We usually pair off girls, girls, guys, guys. But if there's an uneven amount, he and I will work together. He lifts more than I do, but we lift at about the same rate of speed. Like some people really fly through workouts. I think more about my form and like trying to do things right. But also it's like, I'll stop. I got to stop. I got to take a drink of water. I got to wipe my forehead. I got to blow my nose. You know, he and I work at it about the same rate. It wasn't a partner workout last night. We weren't paired up, but he was already done. So he was giving me a hard time because that's just what we do. We just give each other shit. That's part of it. He was like counting my reps partially to to screw with me, but partially also to like encourage me to keep going. And I hit 50 and I looked at the clock and I'd been working out for 45 minutes and I was like, I'm done. And he's like, no, come on. He's like, you can do this. You only have 50 more left. I was like, no, dude. I was like, I I actually can't. I was like, "I, I physically am not able to do 50 more burpees. It's not gonna happen. And, um, you know, at first he did what a good training partner does, which is like, yeah, you can't come on, let's go. And he's even like, I'll do him with you. Let's go. And I'm just like, no, I'm I'm done. And he saw it in my face that I was done. And he's like, okay. He's like, that's cool. That's cool. I'll leave you alone. He's going to, I'm sure give me shit about it tonight. He will also be glad that, like you said, be glad that I show up and that I come back. It was the first time I'd ever quit a workout. He's still my friend and is still impressed that I show up every day. So, you know, sure. it's like, yeah, so absolutely. I do, yeah, I couldn't do 100 burpees at that particular moment in my life. I thought I was going to puke. I have yet to puke <laughs> at the gym. I have pissed my pants, but I have not Whoa. puked yet. I've never had that that experience, but I have I vomited during workouts before. But I think sometimes just because I thought if I did, it'd make for a better story to tell my friends afterwards. I'm not sure that it was sure. really necessary. <laughs> I worked out so hard that I puked. Like, I was pretty proud of pissing my pants, to be honest with you, because that's nice. that's a little like rite of passage. So I told everybody, I was like, guys, I just pissed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot easier for women to pee their pants than it is for men. I'll just say that. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, 
Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum. Create beautiful books. Last thing I want to talk to you about is the Mm -hmm. decision to actually like move towards publishing. So you'd written the book, Mm -hmm. you had the book. Now you're at the moment of deciding the method, the mode of publishing. So there's traditional publishing, attempting to get an agent and move through the traditional publishing world or self-publish or use an indie publisher. So what was your process there? I had a manuscript, right? So I sat down and I, and I wrote the whole thing out and had like a, a first draft. I thought that my best, again, going back to the idea that like, if this thing turned out to just be a very long thank you note to the people that helped, like I was going to be totally content with that outcome. Mm-hmm. And so from that point, I was like, okay, well, I want to keep working towards like that goal so that I have something to be able to like give to people. So I hired editor. So then it became, instead of the writing process, then it was going through it, editing. And we went through it four times. We made a lot of decisions on what stories should stay and go. The first version, the rough draft, the first one that she started with was 730 pages. The current like published version in six by nine paperback is like 334 pages. So mm-hmm. quite a bit of stories got cut for a variety of like dis- of, of reasons, you know. To get to the crux of your question, I felt that like my best chance, if I was going to have a publisher have any interest in this, was to present them with as close to a polished version as possible. Mm-hmm. And so we got to the point where we were happy with where we were at. I wrote up a couple proposals. I figured sending it to large publishing houses was not going to result in anything, um, just because mm-hmm. complete unknown entity, you know. So I thought maybe some small publishers that specialized in outdoor adventure or or memoirs and things like that would be open to the idea of the project sent them off and then it became like that waiting game and yeah. it just I had no confidence that I was going to get a positive response back from any of these publishers that they wanted it but not from a like I don't think this is good enough but from a like you don't know who I am I'm sure that you're you're waiting through hundreds of these proposals at any given time I just decided that I was tired of kind of waiting to see it Mm -hmm. like in print since the last time I had looked into self-publishing, like the whole world seems to have changed, right? You don't have to order a thousand copies of your own book and store them in your living room and try to peddle them through your own website anymore. Right. So I just used Amazon KDP. And so I don't have any of those like overhead costs. And so, you know, I wasn't going to have to shell out thousands of dollars of my own money to, to, to get the printing per unit cost down to something stomachable. I just decided, you know what, this is the way that I can see this thing in print and I can start sending out some of these as thank you notes. So that's what I did. It just sort of like met the needs and the central like goal of this project was to like get it out there and not necessarily, like I said, I don't think that this is going to change the way that I'm supporting my family. And so waiting on a publisher, I felt like I had been working on it long enough and I wanted to, to see it live. So I just made that decision to go ahead and go the self-publishing route. Yeah. And that is uh, true of so many people that I talk to that have self-published. And I totally understand that urge. I write under a pen name as well with some friends and mm-hmm. all of it is self-published stuff. And most of it in my world, I write very dark, very gritty and realistic fiction. 
everything uh-huh. that I write is is pretty rough around the edges. But I have ideas that are fun or silly or just, you know, uh-huh. kind of off the wall and bonkers. And I can't really ever print those uh, under my real name because it would skew mm-hmm. my brand so badly. And it's something that I've talked with my agent about, especially sure. a book that I wrote, one of the very first books I ever finished. And she was just like, yeah, it's great and it's fun, but it goes against your brand so hard that a publisher is going to have a hard time marketing this. And I was like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. But it's a book that um, I care about. I don't know. I mean, again, it's not going to change the world. It's silly. It's, it's a fun beach read. That's not what I write, but I did write it. I can write that. I enjoy writing it. So um, eventually here, hopefully this year, I'm going to be self-publishing that under my Mm -hmm. uh, pen name because it's fun. I like writing it. It doesn't have the depth and the, the smack in the face that my, writing that's under my real name does and that's fine it still has value it still has worth and i have fun making it so my opinion much like the self-publishing world has changed how i feel about and view self-publishing has changed Mm -hmm. very much in the past 10 years i should say like maybe as a caveat you know if someone from some you know publishing house is listening to this and they want to buy my book (laughs) like I'm i'm open to negotiation right I'm happy to have that. I'm happy to have that conversation. At the time, it felt like, you know, I wrote every day during that break between jobs to get all the words down and get, you know, get the story out. And then I just felt this sort of like this wave of anxiety over like the waiting period that was inevitable with trying to, you know, to shop it properly and stuff. And I was just like, man, I just like, I don't know if I have that in me. I want to hold it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we call it a book baby, but it is very much like having a baby is you grow it for nine months. It's, it's in there. People, yeah. you can kind of interact with it, but you haven't. <laughs> you want to yeah. hold it. You want to be like, man, yeah. here's a thing that I made. Right. And like I said, my opinions about self-publishing have changed because the industry itself has changed dramatically, right. but I would never tell someone that they um, yeah. have made a mistake or gone the easy route by going self-publishing. It has its own trials and tribulations. Yeah. And the, different from trad publishing, but they're there. There's also like a couple other like independent authors that I discovered who started with self-publishing too. And mm-hmm. I I enjoyed their books so much. And yeah. I was like, man, these guys are such talented writers that like if they're as good as they are and they self-published, it sort of took some of that. If there was going to be a stigma about it, which I didn't really feel, but if there was like that would have completely taken it away. These guys are great. The pool of talent in self-publishing is very, very different than it was 10 to 15 years ago, for sure. Last thing, why don't you let listeners know where they can find the book, Headwinds, and where they can find you online? LandallProctor.com. It's my little space on the internet. There's a link to Headwinds there where you can get more information. There's a link to the So it's available on Amazon readily in either Kindle or paperback. Um, if you happen to live in Berkeley, California, and you want to buy uh, from a local bookstore books, Inc. on Shattuck Avenue is uh, is carrying it, which is really cool. Um, so there's a couple copies available there. Um, I'd love for them to get purchased so they want more of them. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Landall, L-A-N-D-A-L-L. Um, basically, like with a name like Landall, I don't have to have interesting social media handles. So Instagram is Landall. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. I'm pretty easy to find. 
Writer Writer Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.